0: Hi, my name's Neil, I'm a producer on The Big Interview. Graeme's coming up with analysis on a league and cup double for Barcelona, a walkthrough of a remarkable achievement in Spanish football. Before that, I want to let you know that at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, you can join our socios. For £2.99 per month, you get an extra big interview, a mini documentary, and all of our content is ad-free. Sign up now and you instantly access an entire season of extra content. The support of our subscribers also literally keeps us on the road recording the big interview. Patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thanks. Here's Graham.
1: All our socios, our members, our supporters who are listeners to The Big Inside View will know with crystal clarity that when we begin to talk about a side which has dominated its domestic football to the extent of being in the last five cup finals, winning the most recent one, 5-0 against Sevilla, a team that went to Old Trafford and not Josie Mourinho's team out, and a team which has now won seven of the last La Liga titles, throwing cheap praise at them and saying that's an indication that they're very good, Um, this is a true marker of domestic domination, I don't think that's quite sufficient. I think it's important now that Barcelona, by winning 4-2 at the Thor, albeit not the easiest win that they've ever uh, ground out with some moments of absolute brilliance, four goals of genuine class, but being competed for uh, in terms of possession, being competed with in terms of um, how well Deportivo La Coruña, a relegation side, bossed the ball, used the ball, created goal chances. It was a really useful ninety minutes in terms of trying to sum up where football club Barcelona are now. It'd be stupid not to salute them. The absolute grinding um, hardness, um, determination, badness that it needs to win seven. Leagues out of ten seasons, irrespective of the majority of a Barca squad, and certainly their coaches have changed um, from Guardiola to Villanova to Luis Enrique to now Ernesto Valverde, the winning coaches at least. The fact is that it's probably hard in this podcast, hard in words, to sum up the type of sacrifices that are needed by players who want to stop rust prevailing, who want to keep on winning, even for players, even for players who'll come on your television or radio or go in the newspapers and say, we want to win the title. It's vital to be champions of our national league. That's the grand prize because over 38 weeks or a couple of weeks fewer in Germany, for example, that's the litmus test of, of greatness. And we all know the phrase that says, um, it's far easier to win something than it is to retain something. Greatness certainly used to rest in retaining your league title. Something that Real Madrid have found it brutally hard to do. I think they've done it probably about twice in the last 28 years. So Barcelona's achievement is gigantic. It's on the Pantheon, but I fear that it's only in time that it'll be properly appreciated. We're at the crossroads now. There is such a tidal wave of adoration or love or sponsorship or exposure to the Champions League, and I think we also live in a culture whereby speed of gratification, um, speed of return, um, the ability to see something, consume something, win something, and move on and see if you can do it again instantly, that, that culture is growing, and I think it's growing in sport. The, the side that, um, at the moment, as we stand, our third, may well finish second, Real Madrid, the side that has dominated European football, I think absolutely world football, for the last um, couple of seasons, having won two straight Champions League, having been Champions League um, winners also in 2014, having added the World Club title each time, Real Madrid have been the world's dominant side. How do you measure that up against what Barca have just done in going, until now at least, for 34 matches, completely unbeaten, they're within touching distance of an achievement that's never been managed in modern football. Playing a season unbeaten, well, listen, it's the Clasico this weekend. Who knows? Maybe that record ends. But right now, they're on the verge of all-time greatness when you put context on an achievement. But how does that match up against Real Madrid? How does that um, compare to what Real Madrid have been winning recently? I think that there's a tied within some parts of football, certainly within the media, to some sets of fans, without any question to sponsors, it's beginning to say, not only is it sexy and glamorous um, to opt for the wham-bam over the tantric, by which I mean the cup, the Champions League, over the 38 weeks of La Liga, I think that tide is growing, I think it's turning. I think that there's a smaller band of men and women, whether that be people who run a club, a coach, scouts, sponsors, and a squad, that say, no, 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 absolutely, the league, whether that's in England, Spain, Germany, Italy, name your favorite country, the league is the absolute maximum. I think the the temperature is changing. And I think that while there's nobody or nobody of seniority in that Barca squad that genuinely thinks that La Liga is less important than the Champions League, I begin to think that they're in the minority. One thing that I can say in looking back on this league triumph is that they've won the thing they set out to win. The pain of losing La Liga to Zinedine Zidane's all-conquering side, who were knocked out of the cup by Celta last season, but managed to defeat heavily Juventus in the Champions League, when La Liga, I think comprehensively, who were able to add um, the Spanish Super Cup, very comprehensively, the European Super Cup with a good win against Manchester United, and then add the world title too. The thing that stung this group of players, particularly Piquet, Busquets, Messi, Alba, Suarez, Rakitic, they were most stung by not being Spanish champions. And set against a backdrop of really stormy clouds, their number one objective was to reassert their authority in Spain. I still say that while there is brilliance in setting out for something from about July when pre-season training begins and achieving it now after 34 weeks of slog all the other Intervening competitions, problems, injuries, rows, transfers, criticisms, mistakes. And to be not only champions with um, four games remaining, um, but to be champions with a current, not not a final 11-point margin, but a current 11-point margin which Barcelona have only ever superseded twice in their history. Well, first of all, you give credit for the players having achieved what they set out to do. In life, never mind in football, that's difficult. If you then put a context, and I urge you to put context, and start back at the way in which Neymar left. I think he's a kid. I think he's often a clown. Um, I think he did the wrong thing for his own career. I don't speak on behalf of Barca. I'm certainly not a Barca fan. But I think he was immature, stupid, guided by immature, greedy people. And no disservice to Paris Saint-Germain, There are other players for whom Paris Saint-Germain could have been the ideal destination, where the challenge of making them dominant in Europe could have been not only attractive, but right. For Neymar, it wasn't. Now, the manner in which he left, I think, reflects badly on the people that plan at Football Club Barcelona. They weren't ready. They absolutely should have said in October prior to summer 2017 when he refused to let his buyout clause go out, when, they, when he refused to let them give him higher wages. There should have been an absolute clarity in that moment, Neymar's leaving and Neymar's leaving very soon. The 220 million euros that they spent were not governed um, by um, re-spending in the transfer market. There was a great deal to offset against the, the purchase of Neymar, the legal fees spent on that purchase, the rather surreptitious, furtive way in which they nicked him straight out of the hands of Real Madrid and his then-club Santos. So already the €220 million euros that they had was not going to go for replacements that were going to automatically um, help Barcelona win the league. And when you look at the way in which that the remnants of that money was spent on Dembele, uh, a gawky, um, ill-prepared kid who has been injured twice, seriously once, who has found it hard to adapt to the culture, the language, and also the damn high standards, the hard-nosed, brutal standards that, of course, he never encountered at Rennes, that he didn't encounter at Borussia Dortmund either. And the demands of that um, transfer, the, uh, the way in which he arrived, the injuries, the need to adapt to a new culture, those have weighed heavily on the shoulders of Usman Dembele, a guy who a year previously was available for €15 million. Euros. Reflect on that, reflect on the manner of Neymar's departure where the board genuinely didn't think he would leave. Reflect on the fact that when Neymar was um, in the process of completing his move, the Spanish Super Cup against Real Madrid brought an experience whereby, despite um, Cristiano Ronaldo being sent off, despite being gifted a penalty, Barcelona, the hosts at the Camp Nou lost the first leg 3-1, could have lost by much more, were outplayed, significantly outplayed, were outscored, claro, but then went to the Bernabeu and were pumped. If you're not Scottish, if you're one of our socios who's been brought up somewhere else, pumped is a good Scottish word for a sporting defeat, which means utter humiliation, taken apart. Do you remember now, if you can take out of your memory, the fact that Barcelona have gone the entire league campaign so far unbeaten, the fact that they beat Real Madrid 3-0 at the Bernabeu just before Christmas, the fact that they have um, competed against anybody who stepped up against them, whether that was Celta Vigo, Deportivo La Coruña, Sevilla and either drawn or won, the fact that they've hurdled every obstacle that they've coped with injuries, suspension, they've coped with one or two other things that I'm going to touch on in a minute, and they are still champions with four weeks left. Can you go all the way back to Gerard Piquet sitting on the bench at the Bernabeu saying, these guys are dancing around us. They are leading us a merry dance. These fucking guys are giving us a complete fucking doing. Now, he spoke in Spanish, although he's quite capable of swearing in English like I did there. But BK's words, if anything, while he sat on the bench, having been taken off during what became a 2-0 defeat to become a cumulative aggregate, a 5-1 defeat in the Super Cup against Real Madrid, his words in Spanish were probably stronger, were probably uglier, and he was disgusted. He then was asked about it in a press conference, and he said, for the first time since I've been here, for the first time since 2008... I can see a gulf between us. So if you didn't see Barcelona winning the league after those experiences, if I didn't, Pique didn't either. And therefore, we have to acknowledge that something extraordinary has happened. But I want to take you to, first of all, before praising Barcelona, I want to take you to the opponents. If in the 25 times Barcelona have won the title, this currently is their equal third biggest winning margin. They they could lose consistently between now and the end of the season. I don't think they will. The gap could be closed. But I think there's a reasonable chance the gap might increase. I think the the biggest gap they've ever had in winning is 15 points. So when that gap right now, given the circumstances of, one, Neymar leaving in an abrupt, ugly manner, which damaged the morale of the squad. Two, a completely new manager already trying to get used to winning the league for the first time in his career, Ernesto Valverde, Managing these resources for the first time in his career because with no disrespect of any kind to his time spent at the Mestaya, to his achievements at the Athletic, to his title-winning work in Greek football, this was not only his biggest opportunity, but by far his biggest test. Not just in football terms, but in man management, in terms of stress, in terms of tiredness, in terms of much of his CV now not counting for a great deal because this was new ground, new experience. He wasn't an ingenue. He wasn't um, a bashful teenager at the at the graduation ball. But boy, he didn't have all the experience set needed to get a kiss at the end of the night, and therefore. When you look at what he's done in the face of constant rumours, have you forgotten these? About Leo Messi maybe wanting to leave, about Leo Messi's contract running out at the end of the season, i.e. in those days, it was about to run out in a few weeks' time. Luis Suarez coped with a meniscus problem, which meant that sometimes when he tried to score or pass or control the ball, he looked like a competition winner in the first half of the season. Five goals he scored before the beginning of December. Utterly incredible. He went on another um, entire season without an away Champions League goal. In the elite competition, he scored one goal all season. That's now two years without scoring away from home in the Champions League. And until the international break in November, Luis Suarez was beginning to look like a passenger. Throw that in. Throw in Messi's contract, throw in Neymar being away, eh, torn out of the club in a traumatic fashion. A new coach and the way in which Real Madrid dismantled Barcelona. And at that stage in the season, to speculate that there might be a plus 11 gap to Atleti and a plus 13 or 14 or 15, it's varied throughout the season on Real Madrid, would have seemed incredible. And therefore, the context you need to take into account while we're prizing Barcelona, while we're going to talk about Valverde's tactics is this. By the time the turn of the season came, that Madrid all-conquering machine, which has subsequently been able to win away in Turin to absolutely pump Juventus in their stadium, which has been able to win home and away against Paris Saint-Germain, and which has completed a second half of the season. Now, I think in the celebrations of the title, this has been somewhat forgotten. But in the second half of the domestic season, what has happened is that Madrid have been stronger than football club Barcelona. The uh, stats, the actual stats, are that in the 15 games played since the, the turn of the... The temporada of the season. Real Madrid have won 11, drawn three, lost one. Goals 47, 419. Against difference, 28 points, 36. And it's a tight margin. Football Club Barcelona played 15, won 10, drawn five, lost none. Goals 435, fewer than Madrid. Goals against, 12, also fewer than Madrid. Goal difference, 23, five goals. Worse off than Madrid since the turn. Points 35, one point less than Madrid since the turn. I mention that because it's important to understand that um, in the first half of the season, because of rust, the very rust that Madrid can say, we don't suffer from, Madrid's players had consistently won Super Cups, had consistently won the Champions League, back-to-back, the first in history to do it. They'd won the title, they'd thrown that in there. They were looking indomitable, playing well, playing badly, with or without injuries, producing goals, winning away, getting through an extra time, getting through in penalties. It didn't seem to matter. Now, this Zidane winning machine began the season with a, a victory at Deportivo La Coruña, and then just look at this. They draw 2-2 at home to Valencia when they should have won by a considerable margin. On the Sunday game in September, against Levante, Valencia's um, City rivals, it's 1-1 in a game where Madrid sleepwalk their way through the entire thing. They should also win later in September against Real Betis, who'd gone quarter of a century without winning in the Bernabeu. But when they do, Baragan to Sanabria, 1-0, last minute, Bedlam, total Bedlam, when Kiki City inside, the same coach who drew 3-3 at the Bernabeu with Las Palmas late in the season previously. They complete that 1-0 win. So already, after five games played, in situations that you wouldn't credit, Madrid have drawn twice and lost once, all of which at home. They go on to be uncompetitive against Girona. Girona's players saying that until the halftime break, they had no concept, no understanding, not only that would they win, but could they win. It took them reaching the break at Montelievi for Girona's players to say to each other... We can win this, and Julie, they go out, and they do win it. 2-1. A historic first meeting between the sides. Girona, newly promoted, win. Skipping forward to the early part of January, Celta Vigo, 2-2 up in the Balaidos. At home, a breakaway. Roma did not working hard, not chasing back. Villarreal, at the turning point of the league, win 1-0 at the Bernabeu. This in a season where, in the Champions League, Cristiano Ronaldo scores nine times in the group stages, making history. My point is, in La Liga, you can't consider this victory, this victory margin, without looking at Real Madrid and thinking you've helped hand this to them. How do we consider that? How do you think of that? Madrid in the first half of the season were pathetic domestically. Atleti waged war. Atleti. Coped. he fought. They clawed out victories. Griezmann off form. Gamero not fit. Costa not eligible. Carrasco sold at Christmas time. They worked. They stayed in touch. They led in their home game against football club Barcelona, only to be pegged back. And by the time they came to the camp now, in one of the key games of the season, they weren't good enough. They were beaten 1-0 by a brilliant, messy free kick. But my point is, and without annoying Barca fans unless you look around at your competition, how they've played, what decisions they've made, who they've sold, who they've bought, how they've performed in key games when the gap could have been cut, then you don't know the real way to weigh up this football club Barcelona triumph, which says seven in 10. They've won seven out of 10 leagues. I think there were interesting moments when Messi in November and Valverde in earlier autumn said that Neymar leaving had given equilibrium. So for example, Messi said, and I quote, Neymar leaving has meant that we play differently. We lost a huge amount of offensive attacking potential, but his departure helped us in the defensive sense. Valverde says it differently, but it means the same thing with Neymar's departure. There was a huge environment, atmosphere of pessimism. I'm not going to say that it wasn't a difficult moment, but we fought back to impose a different style of play. The question is, as Valverde put it, did it give them more equilibrium? Messi said they were stronger in defence and they were able to be like that for one very clear reason and you need to factor this in. Whenever you hear people criticising, and maybe it'll be me, Valverde's decision-making in Europe, the fact that Valverde did not prepare his team well enough, having seen what he saw about the way in which Chelsea might well have gone through in the previous games against Football Club Barcelona, the way that Chelsea certainly merited a victory at Stamford Bridge, didn't get it, might have actually gone through at the camp now, didn't. Valverde failed to bear in mind the evidence of the previous season the 4-0 thrashing um, in Paris, the 3-0 thrashing in Turin. He did not prepare his team well enough physically. He didn't rest enough people in order to be ready for the second leg against Roma. But when you hear people holding that against him, then tell them this. His man management has been absolutely superb. The way in which he recruited Leo Messi. Now, you might be spewing into your cornflakes saying, Graham, I'd I Don't like it. Stop it. He's well paid. He's a club employee. He has to do what... No, it doesn't work that way. Leo Messi is not stroppy. He doesn't throw his weight around. But he is stubborn. He's very clear about what he wants. And if you're a coach of whom he doesn't approve or he doesn't enjoy playing for, then that little bit that gets shaved away, involuntarily or not, can ruin you as a coach. Valverde knows this, went to Messi and proposed a couple of things to him. Number one, that the idea would be that they would reinforce midfield by playing four in midfield. And that even with the arrival of Dembele, even with the presence of De La Feo, who subsequently was shipped out to Watford, 4-3-3 would be for specific occasions only and 4-4-2 would allow Barcelona to have two in the centre, Rakitic and Busquets normally, that Rakitic's job was to be able to make Busquets run less and make more quick decisions, to be able to be passing the ball creatively so that Rakitic could deputise for him on his own if needs be. And he proved to be very good at that, the Croat, probably in Barcelona's top three players this season. But that those two playing together would try and add the control which three men used to give when it was Xavi at peak, Iniesta at peak and Busquets at peak. Valverde's offer to Messi was, you you like to drop deep. Occasionally that will leave Suarez up front on his own. You will augment midfield, your presence in midfield dropping back, Busquets and Rakitic playing together will allow the introduction of Poliño to be positive and it will allow Iniesta to play more games. And Messi signed up for that. He told Valverde that he was up for the concept, that he would fulfil his role, and gradually the two men worked out a way of... Behaving, working, planning together on the training pitch. It's not that this was Messi's whiteboard triumph. It's not that Messi is second coach. It was that Valverde knew exactly how to recruit Messi to be at his best and knew exactly how to describe a team that Messi knew he could function well in. that, uh, my friends, our socios, is really good modern squad management, man management, blending tactics with a feel for how to work with a genius. My great friend Lou Martin told me, when I asked him if Valverde was capable of handling a maverick, never really been close to um, working with managing a player of Leo Messi's talents or personality before, Lou told me that despite Valverde being a strict, hard-working man who doesn't give a lot of room to those who are indisciplined, who don't fulfil their potential... Valverde doesn't want to be the star, isn't interested in being accredited or acclaimed. He wants to win. He wants to be effective. He wants his teams to play well. And Lou, uh, Lou Martin, who used to work for A Pies, who who's been domiciled now in Manchester for a couple of seasons and whose book on Pep Guardiola, I urge you to find and buy. It will be the best ever written about Guardiola, his friend since the two of them were youngsters. Lou told me that Valverde would handle Messi exquisitely.
0: Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: So throughout the season, the idea that um, eventually it was a good bet, and, and this was a spin of the dice, not to operate on Luis Suarez' meniscus. That was clever. For a long time, I thought it had been the wrong decision. It proved to be correct. Suarez lost a kilo or two in November, didn't go and play for Uruguay, having helped qualify them for the World Cup. The deal, again, deal-making, guys. The deal with Valverde was, if you allow me to keep going to the Uruguay qualification matches and we reach Russia, Uruguay have pacted with me that I will not play during the friendlies that are in the European playoff time. It was a fantastic deal. Suarez... Having scored five times before the beginning of December, then scored 11 in 7. 11 in 7, which included crucial performances, absolutely crucial victories. So, for example, he got goals at um, Villarreal, Real Sociedad, Betis, and Real Madrid in the Clasico. Those 11 in 8 that he scored, whatever the number I said before, it was 11 in 8. Sensational. And again, Valverde's bet wins. What happened to the new signings? Dembele, partly because of injury, partly because of immaturity, wasn't really a player in this season. He's had moments. He's begun to show his talent. At the rear thor, before he was taken off, you could see assurance. You could see upper body strength. And he pointed out himself that the way in which the injuries hurt him most wasn't the games in which he was absent, but the way in which it stopped him learning the system and becoming full of energy and stamina and being able to play 90, 94-minute matches. Coutinho, um, like Dembele, the price is farcical, ludicrous. To spend what will eventually be £260 million player pounds on two players is an extraordinary lack of planning, an extraordinary lack of judgment. Each of them have the skill to be exceptional. They are Barca-style footballers. It's a judgment on this board, their scouting, their planning, and their world wisdom that it cost them so much to buy these players, particularly Coutinho, at a time when he was no longer able to play in the Champions League. Although he did, with his goals, help them win not only the Cup, but the league. But in terms of outlay, in terms of the quality of this league win, do Dembele or Coutinho feature? No, they don't. Mark andre Tersegan... Throughout most of the season, the very best form of his career. If I can throw in this aside, I have no doubt, having spoken to him and met him, having weighed him up as a competitor, his urgency to move uh, Claudio Bravo out of the club, his outright demand to the club that he no longer wanted to be a goalkeeper who rotated in the Champions League, this idea that he wants to become the best and he wants to become Germany's number one keeper... Sad, though, it is for Manuel Neuer that he was injured. The response from Marc-Andre Ter Stegen to seeing a chance to establish himself not only as a winning goalkeeper at Football Club Barcelona, but Germany's number one, was catnip to him. It was potent. Neuer's injury is sad to see for a great European competitor. He's now back training. Who knows? Maybe he wins his place back for the World Cup. But Marc-Andre Ter Stegen... Had his instincts sharpened, his performance increased by that whiff of potentially be Germany's number one defending the World Cup in Russia, and maybe be number one in the final in Russia in mid in Moscow in mid July. There are other candidates. I've told you that I think that Rakitic played his best ever football, and when Busquets needed to be arrested or was suspended. Rakitic playing for Busquets as the pivot alone in the midfield, made it seem unfair in other clubs. To have a guy of his ability playing that closely to Sergio Busquets in the same team as Busquets made it seem a little bit unfair to the other guys around. Neymar being absent might have added defensive equilibrium, but Jordi Alba's freedom down that left flank meant that, can we call it a society, the association, the friendship, the link between him and Messi looked better this title season than at any stage before Neymar joined. Jordi Alba was liberated briefly. Coutinho, playing on the left, looked like he might get in the way. But the link between Alba and Messi and that prototype goal where either Alba bursts down the left and cuts it back and Messi runs onto it or the play around the edge of the opponent's penalty box is a little bit constipated Iniesta will slip it to an overlapping Alba and Messi's already running as Alba cuts it back and a left foot shot from the Maestro will add to what was it, 40 hat tricks that he completed with that three at um, the Thor against Deportivo La Coruña. As we speak he's on 32 goals The, um, the ones he scored at Deportivo La Coruña took him past Mo Salah in the current race for the Golden Boot. He scored brilliant Brilliant free kicks um, that were amongst the best that I've ever seen him take. If you chart forward from Real Sociedad, Alaves, Girona, Las Palmas and Atletico Madrid, they all won points. It was win, win, draw, win in week 19, week 21, week 25, 26 and 27. Three consecutive winning free kicks. And the game that stands out, and I want to spend a lot of time on individual games because there were so many moments... But losing to Getafe in Madrid early on before things had clicked and the coach bringing on Denis Suarez, who scored, and um, Paulinho, who scored, but each of whom brought the play to Getafe was a brilliant moment for him for the lift-off, the launch pad for Football Club Barcelona to be champions. And it was also an indication that those who'd, Pissed on the chips of the people that thought Paulinho was worth signing at that age, turning 30, for that much money, over €30 million. It pissed right on their chips because Paulinho, albeit that his touch isn't like a velvet glove, albeit that he has now played something like 83 um, games without an off-season, without resting because of his time in China and then his time here, he's had no summer off. He's played consistently without a break, Um, internationally and at club level in China and La Liga since January 2017. Irrespective of that, his understanding of the pass and move for Messi was brilliant. I interviewed Paulinho during the season and he said, it's my duty to make the best out of Messi, to give him more chances, to give him more space, to win him the ball, to link with him. I'm playing with a genius. I consider it a privilege. My work is to make him a better player. Well, It was also to gift the Brazilian a number of crucial goals in the first half of the season. And having mentioned that big, big win at Hitafe, take yourself back to that brutal, rainy night in the very early winter part of 2018 when Football Club Barcelona went to the Anoeta. They went to Real Sociedad. Over the years, time after time, really almost since. The majority of the squad even thought of playing for Barcelona and mind, played for them. Barcelona had either been beaten or had drawn there. Routinely, Real Sociedad would find a way to win by dominating them, by outplaying them, by outjumping them, by scoring late, by scoring early, by keeping a clean sheet or not. Real Sociedad were the Jonas, the hoodoo for football club Barcelona. They went up there looking a little bit tired and they conceded two goals. La Real, at that stage, were hot to trot. William Jose was playing absolutely fantastically right across midfield. They were urgent, they were angry. Ia Marendi bossed them around. They would press you, they would close. And to go there on a rainy night to a stadium where they hate playing and to go 2-0 down, and to not only win 4-2, but to utterly thrash the arse of Real Sociedad was, to me, the definitive performance of La Liga. Yes, you might say the classical 3-0 win at the Bernabeu. Yes, equally, you might say the crucial, tense 1-0 win at home to Atletico as each Easter was approaching. Fine. But to go and give a two-goal start to a brutal opponent who looked as if they could trample all over them all night and then to win 4-2 with two extraordinary goals amongst that clutch of four... First of all, go find Luis Suarez on the left-hand edge of the penalty box, opening his body up and bending the ball around the defender and Rui into the Argentinian keeper's top left-hand corner and then Messi's free kick. Amongst the free kicks I talked about, that's the best of this season. I think it's possibly the best I've ever seen him score. And one of the things I learned while talking to um, current pros and ex-pros around Barcelona, if you go back on YouTube and look at Messi's free kicks, What you're going to see is top left corner, top right corner, hit underneath the wall, judging that the the wall will jump, won't jump. It's like a bowler mixing up his bowling. If you don't like cricket, think about a spin bowler um, saying, I'm going to bowl fast, slow. The ball's going to bounce left. It's going to bounce right. Testing the batsman out all the time. If you like cricket, you'll understand the idea of mixing up the bowling. Messi does that brilliantly. It isn't simply that he gets the trajectory, the up and down, the pace that it's on target all the time. It's that he's always thinking, all right, keeper, are you up to date with what I'm thinking now? Are you on the ball? Have you studied me? Let's play spoof. Let's bluff each other. It's been a fucking piece of poetry to watch. Ultimately, the league comes down to talent. Ultimately, it came down to the fact that the partnership between Suarez and Messi blossomed. It came down to the fact that right across the squad, The guys who could do it did do it for Valverde. Unfortunately, players like Vidal Alcacer, although his percentage of goals to appearance, Andrew Gomez will be judged as failures. Mina has clearly got an extraordinary amount of learning to do if he's going to fit in this side. The brand of football that he was used to, either in Colombia, his native country, or in Brazil, plus the fact that he's obviously been used to since he was a young teenager the ability to outjump or outrun people and that anybody asking him to be super intelligent and careful and technical with his use of the ball that's not something that Irimina has been taught and therefore his learning process at Barcelona if it's going to happen is a big one Kudos to Jesper Sillison. Um, he didn't have a league presence, but we never called on in the cup. This is a proper goalkeeper. His relationship with Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is one that's different from Bravo in that they do compete with each other. They do test each other. They do push each other on, but there's friendship and respect. And Sillison is not angry at not being the Champions League or the La Liga keeper, for the moment at least. Vermaelen, double-tick. Brilliant character. I doubted him in late winter when he was called upon when Ntiti pulled a hamstring. But Vermaelen was ready, looked five years younger than he had, was reliable, played good football, made that header for one of the goals at Anoeta when Barcelona were up against it, played brilliantly at Valencia in a side that should have destroyed him for pace, looked completely unruffled in the Clasico. Thomas Vermaelen, the big inside view, doffs its hat to you there were points at which Barcelona flirted with the treble their ability to win the cup is based upon their ability or their stupidity to flog themselves to death over I don't know 13 games in 34 days across January and February Sooner or later, they'll look at Real Madrid and Real Madrid's relative inability to win La Copa or stay in it until the final stages and their consistent ability to win in Europe. Valverde said, people have got it wrong. It wasn't really exhaustion or creative or mental tiredness that lost us the game in Rome. Pish. Utter nonsense. They were slogged and flogged to death because they wanted to win La Liga. Um, Valverde didn't trust sufficient numbers of the players outside the first 12 or 13. And if you look at the way in which they clawed and fought at the Nervion as the season was coming to an end, to be soundly thrashed only 2 0, but to be dragged around the pitch and looked like rag dolls only to bring on Messi and to score two in the 88th and the 89th minute for a two-to-draw to to maintain the point gap, to maintain the unbeaten record, that cost them so much. It was a Pyrrhic victory. A Pyrrhic victory being one that costs you more than you get back. However, from the team that Gerard Piquet said was running fucking rings round us back in August, to leave them in their wake to achieve their objective, to cope with the um, injuries to Suarez and Dembele and Umtiti, to look at Messi unable to play in the spring internationals for Argentina against Italy and Spain, and yet for him to come back and be determining in that final get-over-the-line league performance that has made Barcelona champions. I give them a huge dollop of respect Um, This is one of those trophies that I think is for the connoisseurs, the Barca squad, the ultra Barca fans who can think of nothing but dominating Spain. They will all savour this. If Real Madrid go on to win the Champions League, I wonder how well this La Liga triumph will be viewed by those around Europe in these changing times when people put much more Uh, value upon the kissy-kissy-bang-bang of the Champions League. A trophy and a competition which I adore and which I definitely think adds the sheen of greatness to great clubs, great groups, great sides and which this season has eluded football club Barcelona. Therefore, an extraordinary job of work, often in difficult circumstances... And the players themselves, let me tell you firsthand, will be phenomenally proud of their achievement, particularly, and this is for a big inside view on another day, as they say goodbye to their beloved, I can use the word beloved, leader, friend and teammate, Andres Iniesta. To give him a double with which to leave the camp now will be of almost as much satisfaction to this group of players, particularly the senior ones, as it will of to have completed their objective at the beginning of the season in difficult circumstances. I welcome your feedback, whether you agree with me, whether you disagree with me, whether you think La Liga is still the supreme triumph, whether the Champions League is something that does put a stain on Ernesto Valverde's CV this season. Feedback, tell me what you think. But I've been most every step of the way with them. I know the majority of this squad well, less so Dembele and Digne and uh, Coutinho, I'll admit. But I know these people well and I know the sense of huge satisfaction the triumph has given them. If your view differs, tell me and I'll tell them. Barca are champions and this has been The Big Inside View. (laughs)
0: Our supporters at patreon.com forward slash grahamhunter have this season enjoyed big interviews with Troy Deeney, Les Ferdinand, Kevin Phillips, Ledley King and many more. You can hear all these and much more every month, all ad-free by joining our club. Our socios keep us on the road, they get more content and it's all ad-free. patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Graham Hunter.